Well, welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And we're continuing our discussion here on the uh, five or six soil health principles that there are. And uh, kind of thought we'd start today off with talking about the least amount of soil disturbance. Yeah, and that's something I think disturbance takes on, you know, a multitude of different avenues or or we can see disturbance through um traditional methods and then those that maybe we don't consider being soil disturbance and i did pull up uh, you know nrcs kind of classifies soil disturbance into three primary categories so i'm going to bring them up and then tom you feel free to tell me what kind of what your thought is on those or what what maybe you've seen on your own farm that would classify as that. Uh, And so, you know, the first one of the three, and as a reminder, we're trying to minimize these disturbance occasions to improve soil quality, Um, but biological disturbance. So when you're thinking biological disturbance, what's the first thing that, that comes to mind that you don't have an issue with the way that you're grazing? Well, I think of biological disturbance. The first thing I think of is uh, is plowing. So that would be physical disturbance. Yeah, but that really destroys your biology. It it does, and I think well, maybe I'll skip the three here. So biological disturbance, chemical disturbance, and then physical disturbance. Okay. And I think you can make an argument for. Like where you're coming at it is we're seeing disturbance of the biology Mm -hmm. where they're coming at it from is what's causing the disturbance. And so biological disturbance, those disturbance caused by biological entities. So grazing livestock. Yep. Overgrazing. Yep. Would be a form of biological disturbance and and we've harped on overgrazing and uh continuous grazing situations yeah it's something that limits the plant from functioning and doing what we need it to do Mm -hmm. uh, when it's always in this state of trying to survive you know as as opposed to trying to thrive um in the environment so i mean I, like I had mentioned, give you credit for for the way you're grazing now. You don't have a lot of of um, overgrazing situations, but are there other? I guess are there other areas? And there's a specific example that we were talking about the other day um, that you noticed caused by your sheep around that water trough out there after the rain. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, we got a good bit of rain. <clears throat> I went out to move sheep that afternoon and all around our uh, mineral sled, it was pretty muddy. And there were little sheep hoof prints everywhere. And my first thought was, thank God I don't have cows anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you'd never be able to walk over this again without Without uh, without twisting an ankle. And I think you had mentioned, like, if I had cows, it would have been a foot deep. Oh, it's yeah. Just, 
it's just the way it is. Yeah. And uh, the right there was soil disturbance that we should not have had. You know, it was, in right. a, it was in a bit of a low spot where water tends to pool if you get too much of it. Um, but it was just, uh, those pastures were just wet everywhere. So that's part of your soil disturbance. Uh, and that's, there was, uh, I think it was last winter, there was a couple of days there where I didn't back fence, or I didn't move my, yeah, I, didn't, I just took my, my front fence out. And just kind of moved them ahead. So they were kind of in the same paddock for three or four days at a time. And so we just keep moving or just keep taking that front fence out and and leaving the back fence where it was. And I thought I was going to be okay with that. And then we still had hay wagons out uh, that we'd use for shade and just kind of a little bit of shelter. And when I pulled those wagons ahead, it was pretty chewed up under where those wagons had been. And right away, I said, this isn't going to work. I might, I might could get away with two days, but I couldn't go three or four like I had. And so we we created more soil disturbance than we really wanted to do there. Right. In, so, in your daily moves, do you notice, I mean, everything's kind of tight, but your mm-hmm. water's in one location. Do you notice the development of sheep paths? You know, a, a place where all of those sheep follow one another to water, to shade, or is it a tight enough area with those daily moves that you're not seeing a a path being developed by that that uh, trailing, you know, follow the leader behavior? No, we don't. With with the areas tight as we're using, um, sheep don't really follow each other to water they just kind of meander over one or two at a time and get a drink and meander back to grazing that was uh that was a huge change but we had cows we had a at one at one time we would graze all the way across those pastures but we leave the water in one spot mm. and we would get the paths you'd see the paths because all the cows would come to drink um, because it was far enough away they all wanted to be together so once one started to go the others all followed and I think you'd you'd run into that you'd definitely run into that same situation with sheep, but the uh, keeping it small enough like that we don't we don't get those paths. Yeah, I was just curious because I think that would be another mm-hmm. you know form of bio- you know a, a disturbance that creating some level of compaction um, via the grazing animal. So yeah. that's what I was asking. That so our next item of disturbance would be chemical disturbance. Yeah, your sprays and your fertilizers. and Correct. Yeah, so overuse of, of nutrient applications. Um, you are, are, are pesticides, you know, covering yep. a broad variety of um, both insecticide and herbicide. Um, yeah, how much, I know you've mentioned on here before, you know, use of, some some pesticide application during that renovation process um but on a on a continual basis or a um semi-regular basis probably not a whole lot no no the only time we'll use a a herbicide is is if uh if we're going to completely change a pasture or completely regenerate or rejuvenate that pasture 
Um, and we quite often do soul disturbance at that point, too. That's the the one time we feel like we can go in there and kind of smooth things out. And, and so we're going in at that point and doing everything wrong with the idea that we're going to do everything wrong once and we're never going to do it again. But that, uh, yeah, you put your, a lot of people don't realize that fertilizer has an awful lot of salt in it. And mm. it, it kills stuff. It just kills your biology. Um, not only that, it, it's your, your roots system. Instead of growing down, it just starts growing up because it doesn't need to go down anymore. It's just going to go up and just take that easy, those easy nutrients. Yeah, and grow probably more lateral. Right in in function, um, yeah, because, yeah, because your, your fertilizers are all closer, much closer to the surface. You know what those plants like to have, right? And that, and that just destroys all your biology that you've spent a long time building down below. Right, it's a it's a major major problem. Yeah, and I do think there's some areas, especially when we're thinking about annuals. Um, if we have some some annual implementation and some pasture rotation, specifically warm season annuals, mm-hmm. uh, that's it, it's going to be very difficult to produce the nitrogen requirements for a C4 like high output grass, something like a sorghum sedan or a grazing corn type species. We just need a lot. Um, it's going to be very difficult to produce that with just the soil biology. And I, I do, I mean, that's where you kind of take a, what path are you going to approach it from mm-hmm. uh, when we're looking at your know, application of, of nutrients um, in certain forms versus maybe I don't need to grow the, maybe I don't need to grow that much tonnage of, of material just to graze. Um, yeah, it's just tricky. You know, I don't know that there's any one one way to do it. You know, we've talked before on here growing feed stuff, and I think this, when we're talking about C4 grasses, if I wanted to produce corn silage, I want to produce 15 to 20 ton an yep. acre yep. because that means I'm only using 10 acres to feed my sheep for for five months. And so, uh, if I can do the things that we're not outlining in this, you know, maybe it has a negative light on it or we're not, we're not accomplishing or feeding the soil biology to the the level we want to. Um, but we are still doing as much as we can. It's positive. We're still getting a cover crop out there. We're promoting soil or plant diversity, uh, it's just going to be hard to make up in a limited acreage situation, make up the amount of feed we can produce with commercial fertilizer in that setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just one example. Like that's, you've got to, I don't know that you have to draw a line. Um, you've just got to figure out what's, what's going to work for you in your livestock enterprise. Well, I think this is where you've stumbled into context. Which is one of the soil health principles. Yep. And you really have to look at your context. And that involves everything. That's, you know, history of your farm, 
um, your financial situation. Which uh, is huge. That's a huge you, aspect. Yeah. Of it. Your, uh, as well as your, you know, the amount of rainfall you get, um, the amount of time that you have, um, you know, I, I do some consulting and, and I, I'll go to a producer's farm and, and right away, my first thought is, well, you need to be moving these animals every day. And I, it's hard for me to stop and say, this guy leaves in the morning for work and it's dark. And by the time he gets home in the evening, it's dark. When is he going to have time to go move fence? Right. And it's, it's part of that context. And it's, it's, I always have to stop and think about that because I am so that moving animals every day is so ingrained in my head. But in that situation, you know, we try to work with the guy and try to get him set up to where he can <clears throat> at least move once a week. And uh, maybe on that weekend he moves every day, but it's all part of that context. It has to be what works for you. And, right. and you can't, you know, even, even if the guy only works till four o'clock, and you know, maybe he leaves for work at, at 4 a.m. and gets home at four. You know, part of that context is, you know, are you still able to do this not just physically, but mentally as well? You know, you're just exhausted, kind of a thing. Right. So this is all part of that context. You really have to sit down and see what will work for you. And especially when you look at the financial side of it as well, you know. I know Penn, I think Penn State's always great for coming here and telling me, oh, we need full soil samples, and then we need to spend a million dollars to get this soil all up to optimal levels. And, and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's great. You know, it gets back to that. How do you how do you make a million dollars in farming when you start off with two million? Right. And you quit when you get down to the one million. Right. And and I think what you had mentioned, you know, we were talking about other grazers and i think sometimes the rhetoric is guilt you know if you're not yeah. moving every day if you're not doing this if you're not doing that there it directly impacts your soil health and so you should feel guilty and you're not doing things the right way and i i think the context aspect of it uh dealt with dealt with a lot of that outlined just what you said is I leave for work when it's dark, I get back when it's dark. I enjoy livestock, but uh, you those that have heard that conversation and, and maybe feel guilty about the not implementing these things to the highest degree uh, are killing themselves, you know, moving moving animals in after hours in the dark mm. and quality of life. Is right. decreased, yeah. You know, and then I would say the same thing if you know you're. We've mentioned on here enjoy going to these in-person educational events, and um, my hope would be that you wouldn't allow a daily graze to get in the way of you going and learning about another. Yeah, at an educational event, if you were gone for two days. Yeah, um, exactly. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. You know, be speaking at the Ohio Grazing Conference, and I'll be gone for I think three days. But uh, I'll move sheep uh, before I leave, and then, uh, but I'm going to give them a paddock big enough for two days, right? And uh, 
and they're going to be in that paddock for two days. And then on the day I get back, then I'll, I'll move them and we'll go back to their, you know, our one day graze. Right. Um, you know, my right hand man, he'll come in in the evening. It'll be dark and he'll go up and he'll just check on the water and make sure they're where they're supposed to be. But right. He's not going to be moving fence or anything like that. So he'll be out there with a flashlight. Yep. You know, hopefully it's exactly. not cold. The wind's blowing because it's always so much colder at night. You know, when that wind's blowing, right? It's during the day, but uh, you know, maybe go up with the with the hammer and and break the ice off the water, kind of a deal. Yeah, and my so hope I'll, is I'll stick a go... couple extra tubs. I'll stick a couple extra tubs out there with water in it, so they're we're sure they're not going to run out of water. Right. I think that's that's just one example. Like, I feel like you should be able to go and do that. Mm-hmm. and not come home and be beside yourself like, oh, I can't believe that I let them graze in this one area for two days. Like, Because yeah. I think for a lot of people, that's how when we're talking about rotations and, and moving sheep and um, soil health, like it can be a, a, an emotional topic for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. You know, it's something that people are very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think there's more to it, then uh, I think it should always be about improving. Yeah, I don't care if it's a baby step or if you're making yeah. a leap in that. And I think it ties directly to your point, back to context. You know, if I'm trying to produce a thousand head of ewes on 10 acres, my production model is going to need to be very different than producing a hundred ewes on a hundred acres. Yep. You know, it's just going to be different oh um, yeah if, if you look to it uh just your rainfall you know an arid environment you know versus the you know the type of environment we're in you know i, I hope nobody ever calls me to come out west to tell how to graze because i i wouldn't have a clue well honestly the western guys are probably closer to that 100 views on 100 acres model yeah because it's you're having some discussions with some of those range grazing individuals, most of that grass, you know, if it gets grazed when they're moving through, will not be grazed until the following year. Yeah. So we're talking about a single pass grazing event. A mm. lot of that has to do with water. A lot of it has to do with just the the expanse and the extensive nature of the systems. Yeah. Um, whereas like Ohio, Pennsylvania, we get into Iowa where we're looking at some confinement operations. Yep. I think we still have to look at at soil health because our feed's coming from, yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but it, is it as big of a deal as when we have sheep out out on pasture? It depends if we're producing that feed ourselves or mm-hmm. or buying it in. But again, it's all all context. Our our other aspect of uh, soil health principle or our our last one that we're going to talk about is animal impact yep and i think we've already talked about it with concept with context of we're grazing animals we're going to have animal impact we can also have negative animal impact but what do you feel the positive animal impact is specifically in your operation i think there's a lot to be said for just the hoof action um you know we do an awful lot of trampling grass down. And I, I think that's, you know, goes back to that soil armor, but you need animals to do that. 
and that's part of that animal impact. Um, that animal impact is converting all those different nutrients that are that they've taken out of that plant. Now it's gone through a rumen, and that's all been converted, and it comes back out the, the backside. And while it is basically the same nutrients, now those nutrients are in a different form that has made the nutrients available again to those plants. And that's that's part of your animal impact. And that aspect of it, in my opinion, is the greatest impact right. of grazing livestock. The ability, like we're we're not doing anything to that plant, um, in a in a beneficial setting, we're consuming leaf material and vegetative material. It's going through the body, and we're depositing it back out onto the soil in a usable form. Mm-hmm. And that timeline for nutrient degradation and, and breakdown and usable forms is exponentially increased through the rumen, through the grazing animal, yep. than it is even through trampling, you know, yep. even through just letting that plant reach maturity, uh, reach those reproductive phases of growth, die off, leaves slough off, decay that's a long process yep um, and through that process we lose we can lose a significant portion of that that nutrient component uh, but through the animal it's it's almost immediate uh, yeah. and we're putting as long as we're getting it back into the places that we need to and that's where you know if we have some loafing areas some shade water uh, heavy use areas in that pasture, all we're doing then is removing to the nutrient point. We're mo- removing nutrients and displacing those nutrients somewhere else. Yeah, um, you're moving. You're moving fine. nutrients from out in the grazing area over to the loafing part uh, area. Correct. And and we're trying to get away from that. We're trying to minimize that as yep. much as possible. Yep. And that's what comes back to kind of your daily moves. You know, so they're not going back to one area and just. You know, depositing all your minerals or all your nutrients right there. Right. You know, another, another part of this that I don't think people ever or, or think about very often is just insects. Mm. You know, I had uh, just a funny story. I've got some grandkids that live in uh, Las Vegas. Okay. And apparently there are no bugs in Las Vegas. I don't know. Not been really? Vegas. They got scorpions and stuff that want to kill you, but just not many bugs. It's because they're all going to the lights. Apparently. Maybe they're all in town. I don't know. But anyhow, the right. uh, so my grandkids were here, and we all jump in the truck, and we drive up back, and we're standing there in the grass, and they are just going nuts because there are bugs everywhere. And the bugs are landing on their arms, landing on their legs because they were all in shorts, you know, buzzing around their face. And those kids could not wait to get back to the house because of all the bugs. Well, they didn't like the bugs. Oh, they hated the bugs. Oh, that's so And I had never thought about this before. It just seemed amazing to me. Now, my daughter was standing there, and she's tolerating it, you know. And uh, and the kids are just going nuts. And so we ended up going back to the house. And a few months later, uh, 
our county conservation officer was out and uh, we're walking through the fields. And his first thing he said was, I can't believe how many insects are here. There are mm. just thousands and thousands and thousands of insects. And I had just gotten used to it. Right. right. You know, but uh, so many times in our cropping situations, boy, if you had that many insects out there, they'd kill be them. out there with a pesticide. Yep. Kill them all. Kill them yeah. all. And yep. for every for every bad insect that you have, there's there's 1,700 other good ones. I've heard this statement more than once. You know, beneficial insects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't have an issue with, uh, with insects coming in and destroying plants. I think there's so many other insects there that it, it keeps itself all balanced out. You know, we've got spiders out through fields. It's just insane. And uh, that's where I draw the line. Spiders like to eat it. Well, I don't pick them up and cuddle with them, you know, but. (laughs) Right. And and just like anybody else, I hate walking through a spider web. You know, you get a spider web across your face and, and uh, that always amazes me. I'll be walking along and all of a sudden I hit the spider web, you know, in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, you can feel it, and you start looking around, and you think, "Where in the world was this thing at? Was it just blowing in the breeze? What was the, what was the deal?" But yeah, the, and I don't know that there's been much research done at all on the benefits of insects, other than you know we talk about our pollinators quite a bit, um, but. You know, I could just imagine that down in there, there's a massive war going on <clears throat> with oh, all yeah. with all these different insects. Yeah, it's uh, like watching the movie Bugs Life. That's all based on real factual events that yeah. occur on a daily basis. I don't think I've seen that. I have to watch that. It's a good one. It's a it's a classic, classic Disney movie for you. But you we'll see, see if anybody else knows knows what I'm talking about, or maybe I'm the only one that watches animated films i at least have an excuse because i have young kids now but i think that's a great point and i think one of the the best things like one of the things i love to see out in the field is um like what we grew up calling cowbirds yeah if i can get yeah i feel like i am watching natural geographic natural, Mm -hmm. natural geographic and David Attenborough's out there just talking about my life as a sheep grazer. And we see this, like, just these cowbirds chilling on the back of a slicked-out Katahdin ewe. Yep. Uh, I, to me, that is just one of the coolest things. Like, to see these in, just interactions of species that have no business being to get like other than the bugs that that bird is consuming the sheep didn't care yeah yeah it's just it's so neat to see uh, and likewise you go out to bush hog or you're mowing hay and the number of barn swallows oh yeah you have 50 barn swallows out there just zipping around well we uh, we get into the tall grass grazing um every time i move sheep I don't know where these barn swallows come from, but all of a sudden they just swarm in. And as those sheep are moving through that taller grass, 
they've got to just be kicking up all these insects because these these barn swallows are just swooping all over the place. I've tried I mean, catching them. I've tried catching videos on my iPhone and you just can't see the birds on right. my iPhone. But it is the coolest thing to watch these birds just zip all through there. But that's and, another and thing. For- People come to my place and they just go on and on and on about all the birds that are here. I know. I go to my neighbors. I was standing in his yard, and all of a sudden it occurred to me, where are all his birds? They're at your place. Apparently. <laughs> there, were like, yeah. there were like no birds. <laughs> I go to a lot of places, and I start looking around. I'm like, I see a few birds, but not like, you know, just scad them. In my place, there are birds all over the place all the time. It's amazing how many birds are here. And there's birds that I've never seen before. I don't know what they are. I'd love to get some bird watcher to come in and and uh, tell me what kind of birds are here because I see birds sitting on. They'll be sitting on top of a plant. They'll be sitting on a post. And I and again, I try to get my phone out, try to get a picture of them. I can't get close enough to them to to get a good picture of them. But right, yeah. So, need somebody I think, to come out and I think this all plays. I think this all plays into animal impact. Oh, yeah. And it's a total, you have to think of it as a total ecosystem yeah. that that you're generating. Um, and now with the guard dog, you know, maybe negatively impacting the rodent population in, yeah. your, in your pasture. But you know, you're exactly right. It's a, it's a full-blown approach. And I don't necessarily, I, this is where, you know, people may have some, differing opinions than what I have, but I'm not, I'm not raising sheep for the rest of the ecosystem that we're grazing in. I'm raising sheep to raise sheep. However, I feel that I have to at least be cognizant of the ecosystem, my soil health that I'm impacting, because I think that it, in my opinion, and kind of where you stemmed on, on all of this and the interest is I think they go together very nicely. Mm-hmm. And the positive things that I impact soil with livestock, that I bring to the table with livestock, and then the things that I'm, my management that contributes to soil health directly relates to improving the environment for my livestock. Uh, and so I think it's important. I just, for me, I'm I'm a sheep guy. So that's, that's what gets me probably more excited. But when I can find something else that directly or maybe even indirectly benefits the flock yeah. and improves performance. I think it's worth pursuing. Yeah. I, I think to me, it, it truly is a symbiotic relationship. It has to be. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like I said, as I started delving more and more into this, it just made sense to me that this is, this is beneficial on both sides. And so and you don't have, it, it has to be that symbiotic relationship because as we had mentioned, and I think we highlighted in a previous episode, without the grazing livestock, we have overgrown areas of land. Yep. Without without the land contributing, you know, plant diversity and and uh, forage, we don't have livestock. Yep. And so it's you know it's this kind of positive tug of war, you know, trying to enact positive change. Um, in our grazing situations. And that's, I think that's something we will just wrestle with and, 
and improve upon is we should be trying to improve upon both aspects. Yep. Throughout uh, our, our I time think, raising animals. Yeah, I think it goes hand in hand. So it's been a good discussion. We're running up on our time here. And uh, so we thank you for listening to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can do that by contacting me at bigtomperkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. You can go on there and, and like and follow. And uh, you can leave some comments there as well. So it's been uh, good catching up with you there, Cam. I think it was a good discussion. and It was for those that are tired of hearing about dirt. We'll yeah, get back to talking <laughs> talking about sheep. Um, but I, again, I think there's a lot of aspects of both areas that contribute to the, the health of each other. I think so. So, all right, buddy, you have a good week. You too, Tom. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye.